So tonight, guys, we're going to talk about some stuff, and, and I feel like I say this almost every week, but uh, we're not going to talk about anything new. Uh, I, <laughs> thanks, Aaron. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, the, the danger is not that we don't know something new most of the time. The danger is, is that we forget stuff that we already know. Um, and I don't mean that as in, you know, Jesus has nothing to teach us. Jesus has plenty to teach us. It's just that the majority of what, is, what he teaches us quite often is stuff that we already knew. We just either have forgotten or we treat it as though it's really not important. Or sometimes the case is we say it's important, but we don't live it out at all. So tonight we're going to talk about pointing out danger and then kind of ignoring it. Uh, we're going to read from the Gospel according to Mark, uh, the 12th chapter, verses 35 through 40. The Scripture is going to appear behind me through the magic of uh, PowerPoint. And the Scripture is on the piece of paper through the magic of a laser printer. And then there are Bibles all around you also. And then through the interwebs, the Scripture is actually even there. If you go to the church website, there's a message thing there. This is what the Word of the Lord says. Well, Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second. And I feel like I've done this almost every week for the past three or four also. But just to give you a little bit of a heads up, because some of us weren't here the past three weeks. Um, Jesus has entered the temple. This is the last week of his life. And he's gone through, through highs and through lows. And what's just happened in the temple is he's been teaching there. And people have been coming up and asking him questions, trying to trick Jesus. And then the last question last week was a guy who heard people trying to trick Jesus and he was amazed by the way Jesus uh, answered them. And so he asked a genuine question. So that's what's been happening, but things are about to change. So while Jesus was teaching in the temple uh, courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show, uh, excuse me, and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Now, guys, Jesus changes the nature of his teaching uh, in the temple at this point. In the past, people have been coming and asking him questions and some of them have been deceptive trying to trick him and some of them have been genuinely interested in saying, this man has great wisdom, this man has great authority, let me ask this question. But Jesus has gone from answering their questions to he, he kind of gets on offense instead. It's like he's been taking their hits and been in a defensive mindset. And now he point blank starts to question the leaders around him. The leaders that are there that are the teachers of the law. He starts calling into account what they believe. It, it's a very aggressive move by Jesus. Okay, if you think about most of what we think of Jesus, most of the time it's Jesus meek and mild. But sometimes Jesus is meek and mild is putting people in their place. 
He usually does that with the powerful. Uh, and that could be that they're rich and wealthy. That could be that they have lots of political power. It could be that they have positions of authority. Uh, he usually is very mild with the weak. He's usually grabbing them and lifting them up. But every now and then, he puts someone in their place. And he point blank begins to question the teacher's of the law here. Now he does it in a way that, that you and I might not in initially understand. It seems kind of just about semantics, but uh, our, our words have meaning. There are times and places where, where you can be too picky with language. Anybody here ever been on Facebook and had somebody correct their grammar on Facebook? Yeah. Who, you, who, who does it? We all hate you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, and maybe I should be corrected now because Tony's a guest here now and I just told her that the whole group hates her. No. <laughs> my wife my wife affectionately refers to herself as a not as the grammar Nazi. <laughs> so but you know what I mean. Okay. Like I I I love my wife and, and I'm in the midst of, of as you know from my announcement, I'm doing my dissertation now, which means I had to do this huge proposal, 75 pages worth of typing. And I cannot tell you how thankful I was for Pam because there are times and places where the grammar Nazi is an absolutely wonderful thing, okay? I, I posted on, uh, and I should have brought a picture of this, but I put this on my blog this week. I, I, I misspelled one word and it changed the entire meaning of things. What I was trying to talk about was the percentage of people in Stevens Point who list themselves as having a religious affiliation. But instead of affiliation, I put affliction. <laughs> yes. Why are you going down that route? <laughs> you, you're, you're cut off, Jacob. You cannot say anything else tonight. <laughs> Cut off. <laughs> so I, I, I share that with Eric, and Eric's like, you're a bad pastor. So, I mean, there are times and places where you want a grammar Nazi, but we also know there are times and places where you're not as picky with language. Okay, if I say something up here, and, and it's like, whoa, suddenly I say something that questions the Trinity, you are rightful to, to go, Robert, that's not what you mean. But if we are ordering, uh, you know, ordering a pizza and somehow or another I say a statement that could be interpreted as, as questioning the Trinity, maybe I'm not meaning it as a theological discussion at that point. Jesus is not just being picky with somebody's language. He's not just one of these people who walks up to you and meets you and during your conversation of just casualness, you know, you're just talking about the Packer game and they keep on correcting you by saying, no, it should be whom? He's not just being someone who just likes to put you in your place. He is correcting people because they are using their words in a way that conveys something that he completely disagrees with. And what he's correcting them on is this. They refer to him or, and refer to the Messiah in particular because some of the teachers of the law did not believe that he was the Messiah as the son of David. Now, that is a messianic term. That is a correct term, okay? It is used by certain people, and Jesus does not say, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm not the son of David. There's this story where two blind men come, and they, they call out to Jesus, saying, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus doesn't respond with, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm not the son of David, so I can't have mercy on you. You're just wrong, and you should go back to the back. Oh, I'm sorry, you're blind, you can't see the back. No, Jesus doesn't respond like that. Yeah, I know that. I love the, I love the fact when half the people here are like, 
Ooh. <laughs> I don't like your Jesus, Robert. <laughs> Guys, Jesus doesn't correct them because they're weak. And because Son of David is a perfectly acceptable title for the Messiah. But what Jesus is conveying here is it's not the most accurate title. Does anybody know what title Jesus usually refers to himself as? Actually, he doesn't go, I am Jesus the Messiah. <laughs> Actually, he never point blank says he's the Messiah. He implies multiple times. Okay. And, and here's how you know. Okay, Some people be like, Jesus never says he's the Messiah. Well, the Jews were not stupid. And there are two separate times where they try to stone him because they go, oh my gosh, he just called himself the Son of God. Without him ever saying, I'm the Son of God, they understand. There's one time where he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. That's a huge reference. Because I am that I am is, is Yahweh. Okay? They understood. Oh, he's calling himself God. But when he usually refers to himself, and I think Pete said it, or someone around Pete said it, there's a title he usually uses, and it is Son of Man. Now, look at the differences here. We have Son of David. Now, if you had to pick an ethnicity for Son of David, who is that talking about as a group? Yes, Son of Man. What ethnicity are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, I love this. I, I had a professor who used to say, son of man is just kind of like Jesus is saying he is the man. Because what is a son of man? Well, he's a man. It's like he's the man of man. Okay? It's just this great way of saying I am, son, I am the son of humanity. Not in the sense of humanity produced me, but I am the Messiah of the world. And he uses this over and over again. He makes reference uh, in Matthew of uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, guys, to you and I, this may seem small, but this is huge. And the reason it's huge is the teachers of the law were talking to Messiah as the Son of David, the Hebrew Messiah for the Hebrew people. And Jesus comes as the Son of Man, the Hebrew messiah for the world he doesn't have a lot of interactions with gentiles but he has interactions with gentiles and it dumbfounds them okay he he talks with a samaritan woman and she's completely floored one because she's a woman and two because she's a samaritan he's dumb or not he's dumbfounded she's dumbfounded that he would talk with her but jesus was the son of man see the teachers of the law had this mindset that the Davidic kingdom was what God was going to restore. He, he says, you know, how could David say to his Lord, my Lord said to my Lord, and you know, how could the Messiah be the son of David when David calls him Lord? Jesus is pointing out, you're looking back to the Davidic kingdom. You're looking back to God bringing this back. That makes David the top. But David was looking to something so much more. I like graphs. I think graphs are wonderful. Okay, I, I go ahead and tell you, anytime that I can fit a graph or a drawing into... A, anybody here ever remember the English? There was like, oh, I know, my name is Simon. And he would sit in bathtubs and he would like to do drawing, drawings. Drawings? Okay, I'm sorry, that was a rabbit. Anytime I can fit a graph or a drawing, a drawing into a sermon, I'm thrilled. Giraffe... <laughs> Laser in the eye. Um, 
I love it. And th- this is my graph for this, okay? The, the teachers of the law had this mindset that the Messiah was this much. That's really good. They were looking for the Messiah. The problem is, is this. They had a very limited, very controlled, very ethnic mindset of the Messiah. They knew who he was. They knew what he was going to do. They could say it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's really, really dangerous. Yes, sir. Oh, I cut you off. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, they thought of their Messiah as if you took David and just took the best aspects of David and pushed them to the hundredth percentile, that's the Messiah. But the Messiah was not just the best David. The Messiah was completely other. He was God. See, they had this, but the reality is this. The second you believe, the second I believe that I have a complete grasp on Jesus, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. I don't mean by that that we can't understand it all. I do mean by that that we should never think that we completely understand Him. Some of my favorite, favorite passages of Scripture are where Jesus just kind of shows up and, and the disciples go, <sighs> there's this story in Scripture where there's a storm, a fair amount of storms. It's like Jesus is involved in storms and eating a lot. But the disciples are in a boat, and if you, if you remember the story, if you know the story, if you don't, it's a wonderful story. Uh, the disciples are in a boat, and, and there's a storm that breaks loose, and Jesus is not in the boat. Excuse me, Jesus is in the boat in this one. He's asleep. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and there's this storm, and the disciples freak out, and they go, don't you care that we're about to perish? Don't you care that we are about to die? And Jesus wakes up, and he goes, oh, you have little faith. And Scripture records that he talks to the storm, and it stops. And what I love about this is that Scripture then records that the disciples were scared. I like to think that they were more scared of the guy who was in the boat that could calm the storms than they were 10 minutes before that when they were scared of the storms. See, every now and then Jesus shows up and he lets his godhood just out and people go, because the Messiah should be so much more. But the teachers of the law, they had taken their Messiah and they'd made him nice and controllable and easy to handle. And that said more about them than anything else. So, Jesus then says this. He says, They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. Who's he talking about? What? Yeah, Pharisees, in this case, teachers of the law, which is, is kind of a way of summar- summing up. It's not just Pharisees, it's Sadducees, it's Pharisees, it's, it's the Herodians, yada, yada, yada. There are lots of different groups here. But he is talking about these people who have uh, either been given titles or put themselves in places of authority dealing with the teaching of Scripture. And the tradition of that day was that when they were teaching, they could wear these white robes. Now, you and I probably would not want to wear a white robe. It's kind of odd. Brighter colors were for, were for the nobodies. White was for the specials. I, I don't really know why. I just know that in the ancient Near East, in, in Jewish culture, if you were nobody, you would wear 
Is that orange and red? And yellow. Orange and red, those are bright colors. And that would be like, you know, Aaron, she's just baking bread. I like bread. But nobody would ever be like, there's the baker, give her a place of honor. Now, if Adam and, and, uh, and Heidi Holty were still here, they had to leave because they had a baby emergency. Charlie's fine. There's just something that he did that they were not prepared for. I, I was going to say, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. But if, if Adam was here, I would say he, he's the baker. He needs a place of honor because his bread is great. But what would happen instead was they would give these teachers the law of places of authority and honor. They would wear white robes. And when they went to synagogue, they would actually be the only people who sat in the front with their backs to the Torah. Which, that's huge if you think about it. Anybody here ever been to a church where they had pew chairs? There we go. Okay. So you know what a pew chair is. Most of the other people here do not know what pew chairs are. Now, if you go to a traditional church, what you'll find is there are typically these pews there. And then they are called pew chairs or pulpit chairs. I don't know why you would call them pew chairs. I just know they're quite often called that. But they are the chairs that look like thrones that are put up on the stage. And only certain people get to sit in the thrones. I begged people this week. I was like, does anybody still have one of these? Can I borrow one? Because I was going to preach the entire message while seated in a throne. How awesome would that be? (laughs) How was church this week? We had a throne. (laughs) We should do that. You guys should buy me a throne from now on. <laughs> so anyhow, that is, not, that is not just a modern concept. I think Pete's telling me to back off. <laughs> oh. So it's not a new concept. In the ancient Near East, they would have done the same thing. In synagogue, it would not have been uncommon for the teachers of the law to sit with their backs to the Torah. Everyone else would have been facing them. Not just because they're speaking, because if you notice, the only time I'm up here is when I'm speaking with you. They would sit there the whole time. It was this place of honor. These people were concerned with, with being the center of attention. This is from Urban Dictionary. I love it um, because uh, you may know some people like that. Uh, anybody here ever known somebody that if there's a photo that's taken, they automatically try to work their way into the center of the photo? Here, I'll give you an example. This is not a perfect example. This guy is known as the Jungle Bird. He's been doing this at sporting events. He actually did it. Uh, this U.S. Open was four weeks ago, right? Is that right? Golf? There we go. Thank you, Jason. Uh, so here he is. This is at the uh, Notre Dame Navy game that took place in, uh, in London. And he went across, stole the football, and then did an Irish jig at the end zone. This is at the U.S. Open, uh, the Ladies Open where he did it, I think he may have uh, had a little liquid courage that week just because he looks like it. This is at the U.S. Open, where he did it too. I'm going to show you another photo just because I like this angle. And this is the angle I like because look at Bob Costas' face. (laughs) Now now you won't be able to miss it. I'll go backwards. There we go. It's just... Makes me laugh. This guy wants to be the center of attention. And, and you may have known people like that, that they have to be the focus. But the teachers of the law were doing that too. They had moved uh, from, from 
they had moved from being people who were were concerned about helping others see Jesus to where they were using uh, using Scripture to where the attention would go on them. They didn't even have a lot of wealth. They didn't use this for for monetary purposes. The statement where Jesus says that they devour widows' uh, houses and for a show make lengthy prayers was a big custom at that time for you to support the teachers of the law. And for many of them, what they would do is somebody would want someone to say a a, a lengthy prayer at their their parents' funeral and uh, they would end up getting part of the estate. This, this authority wasn't used to help the people of God. Instead, it was used to help them. See, Scripture points this out. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge is a great thing. I think Jesus, following Jesus ultimately implies an education because we are studying His time, we are studying what He said, and we're studying our modern lives to figure out how does this fit together. It's not always easy. It implies an education. The knowledge is not a bad thing. If we're honest, that knowledge can be really tempting to just kind of make us puff up a little bit. And it's not just preachers, okay? I've seen it done with all sorts of people. I've seen people who who just point blank try to get their knowledge out in lots of different ways. Not because they're trying to help anybody, but because they're trying to just build themselves up. See, the teachers of law were doing the exact same thing that, that so many of us do. I've actually seen people just try to, to puff themselves up with their knowledge with new believers in Jesus Christ to the point that they end up chasing those new believers away. Knowledge can be a wonderful thing. But we also give into this desire to just be somebody and, and to have these places of honor. See, the... The teachers of the law should have been more like ophthalmologists. They should have been more like people whose job it is to help others see the Messiah. If if you have bad vision, in my case, I don't need my glasses to be able to see you. I need my glasses to be able to see you and not have a headache longer, or excuse me, after a while. Such as in the back row, I can see you pretty well right now, but if I do this the whole night, I'm going to have a screaming headache. But but I have friends that if they took their glasses off, poop, you're gone. My, my oldest son just uh, told me a story which I probably need permission for, but I think it's okay. He won't know. <laughs> Adam is in, in uh, Ashland, Wisconsin at Northland College, and he's running. And he's running without his glasses because he can see well enough to be able to, uh, to, to make it safely. And he doesn't like his glasses on when he's running. And, and while he's running, people will go, hey, how are you? And he just thinks his stranger's being friendly. But he can't see well enough to actually see people's faces And so he realizes later on when they say, hey, I saw you running today, that those were friends of his rather than strangers. See, his glasses help him to see. The teachers of the law should have been helping people to see the Messiah. The teachers of the law should have been helping people to follow the Messiah. But instead, they used all that knowledge to help them gain respect and authority. To basically say, look at me. They were more concerned uh, with what people thought of them than they were anything else. Uh, now, the opposite is the disciples. 
The disciples took risk. The disciples took, took leaps. They, they jumped out and did things. And people saw Jesus because of them. I love this verse of scripture because it refers to the, the disciples almost in a derogatory way. You know, they're, they're unlearned men. But they're amazed by what God is doing through the disciples at this point. See, the disciples pointed people to Jesus because they lived out this faith rather than using their knowledge to build up authority and find seats of honor. Whereas the teachers of the law were more concerned with whether or not they were at the head table. Have you ever been to to a party or to a wedding where somebody was offended because they were not seated in a high enough spot? We, Pam and I were at Brad and Katie's wedding and, and um, I misjudged the, the place uh, settings and, and it was, it was kind of funny because it was like, well, all the other threads and those, for those of you who are guests, I, because of, of Natalie, uh, she came up with this great idea for people who are part of tapestry. We just usually refer to them as threads. I was like, I don't know what I did wrong to, to Brad uh, that I offended him because all the other threads are seated at this one table and they're, they're having lots of fun and we're seated with his family. And his family's nice, but they all know each other and they're all talking to each other. And Pam and I are just like talking to each other. And I love talking to my wife, but, but it was one of those like, you know, this is weird. And then suddenly we realized, oh, we're right behind the family. It's this, this great place of honor. But the reality was I wanted to go hang out with everybody else because they were having more fun. <laughs> but I have been around groups where somebody's like, no, 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 I wasn't seated in the right spot. <laughs> Bless you. I, I love this passage of scripture that uh, the the quote on the front of the bulletin comes from. It's from Luke 14. Jesus tells this story about if you go to a party, in this case a wedding also, and, and you see the table, he says, don't go and sit at the highest place of honor, lest the host come up to you and say, I'm so sorry, that's not your seat. Which I just think is fun to imagine. Can you imagine how, how awkward that would be? Instead, Jesus, and it's kind of funny because sometimes his advice uh, it's genius in more ways than one. It's just practical advice, but it's also genius spiritually. Um, but he says instead, go and sit at the lowest place. And that way, then uh, if, if you should be seated somewhere else, someone uh, will come up to you and say, no, 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 that place is not for you. We've got a better place for you. And then you're valued in the eyes of everyone there. See, Jesus was teaching his disciples to do the exact opposite of what the teachers of the law were doing. They were more concerned with their places of respect and their robes and their authority than they were with going to the lowest spot and having someone else say, oh, no, no, we would much rather have you here instead. And we do the same stupid baloney. Jesus calls these teachers of the law out because they are more concerned with their places of honor. But what he tells us to do is to be the opposite. To not be like the Gentiles who are concerned with lording it over people. He says that not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, uh, be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But the teachers of the law were not going to give their lives as a ransom for anyone. They were concerned with whether or not their name badge had the right title on it. Whether or not the people around them called them by the right name. By the way, if you remember correctly, you were supposed to refer to me as most holy and revered shepherd, Bob. Most holy and revered. And after I finish that paper, I will be most holy and revered Dr. Shepherd Bob. 
And I'll, I'll hit you if you do. But guys, it's easy to do that and say that is only about people in authority, but the, the reality is, is we can still do the same stupid baloney. We can still be more concerned about whether or not somebody respects us, some, and somebody treats us with, with the position that we have earned, than we are concerned about whether or not we are pointing them to Jesus. See, Jesus goes on the offensive here and he starts calling out the teachers of the law's mistakes. And he's pointing out, you don't understand the Messiah at all because you think the Messiah is just about the Jews. And the reality is, you think that means you're the one who has the best connection. But what they had forgotten was that the Messiah was for everyone. See, that's not just Christian teaching. That is Jewish teaching that Christianity came from. The Messiah was for all nations. All the nations of the world would proclaim how wonderful God was because the Messiah would come and show the way. But they'd taken the Messiah and made him just about the Jewish nation. And as teachers of the law, that meant they were the ones who had the access and therefore you give respect and honor to me. I wonder if sometimes we don't do that same thing with those who might not agree perfectly with, with our Christian faith. You know, there are a lot of people that I disagree with. There are a lot of people that I have very strong disagreements with regarding what Scripture says on certain sins. I don't have a problem, have a problem talking with them and saying, I disagree with you and I think Jesus says this. But I've been to churches that if you don't completely agree with them, you might as well be kicked out because they're going to kick you out. They're more concerned with whether or not you treat them right than they are concerned about whether or not they are pointing you and helping you to see Jesus better. So before I end, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Okay, I'm going to end with this then. The two hands. Because what I want you to do is ask yourself this question. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to ask yourself this. The way you, you live daily, the way you, you live outside of this gym, because let's face it, this is the easy part of life. Hopefully. <laughs> the way you live in your, your work, the way you live in your family, the way you live in your school, the way you live with your friends. Are you pointing people to yourself or are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you more concerned with how they treat you or are you more concerned with helping them to get rid of the blinders that are in front of their eyes that are keeping them from seeing the Messiah? Because the teachers of the law during Jesus' time were more concerned with wearing their white robes and more concerned with their places of honor than they were with helping the poor and the weak and the helpless see the Messiah. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the teachers of the law. I don't want to be someone more concerned about my seat of respect. Let's face it, the only seat I have here is this, and it's wobbly. 
What I want to be concerned about instead is, am I helping somebody to see Jesus Christ more clearly? Bless you. Bless you. And I think he wants the exact same thing for all of us in this room. So guys, if you need somebody to pray with, I would love to pray with you. If you, have, if you do not see Jesus clearly and you would like somebody to pray with, I would gladly pray with you. If you are wondering how to help somebody specifically see Jesus more clearly, I don't know that I'll have the answer, but I'll gladly pray with you. If you need somebody to pray with you, uh, I'll be in the back. I think Pete will be in the back also. Otherwise, let's sing to the God who uh, is worthy of respect. Pray with me and let's sing. Jesus, forgive me for the times that I've been more concerned with people treating me with honor. I've been more concerned with uh, seats of honor and, and white robes than I have, with, uh, have been concerned with helping people to see you. Forgive me for the times that I have not been like you. And help me to live like you now. Uh, to point people towards uh, the Father, towards you, towards the Spirit. Instead of pointing out how good I am. Because I'm not. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. Guys, let's sing together, please.